Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions. We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of FF Plus, our fun little smorgasbord of a show where we talk about anything and everything. And this week, we really are going to talk about anything versus everything. That didn't make any sense. I'm Aaron, one of your hosts, and with me, as usual, is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hello, everyone. Today, we don't have many film reviews to discuss, Patrick. We're going to do a short film, we're going to talk about a TV show, and then we're going to do that smorgasbord I was referring to earlier, where we kind of just catch everybody up on what we've been watching, reading, playing, etc. I like that about this. I like the opportunity for us to kind of go off script, as it were, from the show's theme a little bit, and hopefully this will allow people to get to know us and more about us than just what we think about movies. And frankly, it just hasn't been a lot in the movie world to talk about for this week. So with that being said, the first thing we're going to discuss is Colin Trevorrow's new short film, Battle at Big Rock. This is a little side piece to his Jurassic World series. The plot synopsis is very simple. A family's camping trip at Big Rock National Park is disrupted by dinosaurs. This is about eight minutes long, so we're going to spoil it because when you take out the credits, it's even less than that, and there's not a lot of narrative stuff going on here. If you want to watch it, you can find it online on YouTube or several other places. Just Google Battle at Big Rock. It'll pop up. Watch it real quick, and then you can come back and join us. A little backstory. Patrick and I are not very high on the Jurassic World franchise. We both love the concept. We both love Jurassic Park, and we want it to be better. But unfortunately, we've not been super impressed. And specifically with Jurassic World 2, it ended up being one of our worst reviewed films ever on the show. We don't usually get super critical, but on that one, we did. It was our contributor Jacob Neff's only appearance with us, and I still feel bad about that, Patrick. I do too. I hope that at some point we can rectify that with a maybe a, a, a choice that he wants to make and get him on to talk about it. Well, I don't know about a choice that he wants to make. Maybe if we limit him to something that's not foreign and on Criterion Collection. <laughs> <laughs> because we want you, dear listeners, to actually have interest in listening. No, we know that some people out there love the stuff that Jacob loves, and uh, we will get him back on soon. But yeah, this is going to be fun. We'll talk about the short film, a TV show, and some random stuff. Uh, let's get going. So the first up is the battle at Big Rock. Patrick, I'm curious. Do you feel any better about the direction of the Jurassic World franchise after watching this short film? My feelings have changed a little bit when it comes to the expectations of the franchise. The thing about Fallen Kingdom that I didn't like was that it really kind of usurped what I expected from the tone of the Jurassic franchise as a whole. I thought Gerard did a pretty good job, actually a better job than I expected with Jurassic World. I thought he infused a lot of newness by, and also balancing out some of the old nostalgia. And then Fallen Kingdom came around and felt very rushed. It felt like you were trying to pump two movies into one to get to what we're now getting to with Jurassic World 3. Having said that, my expectations were changed so watching Battle at Big Rock, 
I actually kind of enjoyed it. I think that there's something fun about creating a fantasy world where dinosaurs actually live among us. I think that's been a concept that's been thought about philosophically, historically, what would happen if, and to be able to let that play out on screen, I think has a really good entertainment value. So if I were to abandon my expectations of what I wanted the world franchise to be and embrace the fact that this is what it is, I think Battle at Big Rock is on par with what I expect from the next entry. I'm not high on seeing it. I'm probably not going to say let's cover this, but it will be one that interests me. And if the trailers pique my interest, then obviously I'll be in the theater watching it. Well, I'm really glad that you enjoyed this. I did not. And I didn't hate it, but I was pretty disappointed by it. Namely because I feel like it has just condensed Trevorrow's methods into seven minutes and nothing has changed. I don't feel any better about the direction. I do love the concept like you. In fact, Patrick, my favorite part of this entire short film is during the credits when they're showing what looks like home video clips of dinosaurs randomly, you know, across the world. And I was like, the first thing I thought to myself and what I wrote on Letterboxd was, what does it say about me or about this film that the thing I love most is these little snippets during the end credits <laughs> that have nothing to do with the actual narrative of the short film. I do like the idea of dinosaurs roaming the earth. I don't like the idea of laser dinosaurs, except in specific video games, which I will mention later, because then it's really cool. But it's not that great the way that Trevorrow handled it in Jurassic World 2. I felt like this had weak writing. There's not a lot of writing, and I felt like it was weak, and that kind of annoyed me. Things like... In the very beginning, our main character is saying hi to a man named Greg who is in this RV park with him. And the way he's talking to him is as if they just arrived there. But they've clearly been there with these people for a very long time. In fact, later we learn that Greg has been teaching his daughter how to shoot a crossbow. So it's not a surprising thing that they're there. But the way that the dialogue is written, it would imply that they have just arrived or just seen each other for the first time. And then immediately after that, we get in and we get some dialogue where the mom immediately is talking about how, you know, we've been a family for two years now. It's starting to give us a little background about this new blended family that they have. And then the dad says, well, now that we're a family, we need to come together. And I was like, that's not something you say after two years. So you don't say now that we're a family after you've been a family for two years, Patrick. Like, that's something you say after a couple of months or a week, you know, you know what I mean? Like by two years, a lot of time has passed. I know these, that may sound like nitpicky type stuff, but for me, when it's only dialogue I get in a short film, it's, it was another indicator to me that Trevorrow doesn't have it yet. Like this is not making sense to be honest. And I know that's not the point of this is, but it can make sense and still be entertaining from an action standpoint. I also just do not, get a sense of tension from this man's filmmaking. And with Jurassic Park, I need that. With Spielberg, I always was concerned. I cared about the characters, and therefore I worried about their safety. I, d- I don't get that. I just don't get that built in me. Even I know it's seven minutes long, but there, you can be done. And I don't get it when I watch Trevorrow's work. So I don't think that he knows how to handle that well. It has good cinematic shots. Like, we have never complained about that. 
you know, there's cool looking action in both of the Jurassic World movies for sure. And I liked that a lot. I love the mom dinosaur showing up, right? Protect the baby. That's fun. Yeah. But it just, I, there's just too much about it that's weird for me. Like, why didn't, if there's all these other people in this RV park, all of a sudden the family is talking and then it's dead silence and the T-Rex is out there. Like, nobody said, or actually it was a baby dinosaur they saw first. Nobody says anything. Everybody just walks into their RV silently. Nobody warns anybody else in the entire RV park. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, after all this chaos, we see Greg, like, saunter out of his RV. He's opening up the door. Where did the girl get the crossbow? Would she just randomly find it? Like, Greg was in his RV. So I I know that sounds like I'm, like, probably people are like, Aaron, what are you doing? This is a stupid short film about dinosaurs, and it's fun. It's meant to be fun. But to me, it just completely condensed and showed me everything that I don't like about Trevorrow, only it was in seven minutes. I gotcha. Well, I can, I don't agree with that necessarily <laughs> because I, my expectations were not that high and I didn't think it was fantastic. I think it was spectacle more than anything else. And if that's what it was meant to be, then that's fine. It didn't get me excited about seeing this on the, here's what it did. It reminded me of what I don't care for as much when it comes to movies is spectacle. I don't really care about high concept popcorn fodder. It's fine. And if there's a decently engrossing story around it, I think it's more of a supporting cast concept for me, as opposed to going for the explosions and staying for the dialogue. So when you talk about something that's campy, I think of Batman 66 the TV series that I love because of its campiness. And it's very self-aware of that. Whereas I think the tone of at least the second movie, I didn't catch it from the first, but the tone of the second movie didn't know what it was trying to be either campy or serious. And I think that sort of is condensed into these seven minutes. I didn't feel any level of tension or importance toward the, the cast of characters I was turned off by the little girl with the crossbow at the end. I thought, I mean, I get what it is. It's a nice little fun exclamation point paying off a joke about, yeah, I'm, you know, Greg teach me how to shoot a crossbow. But I didn't see, there was no time for me to believe that in the midst of that kind of chaos, this little girl who was crying about a baby dinosaur possibly getting eaten is going to turn around again and find a crossbow and, shoot this allosaurus and then have the expression on her face that she did like what's up my drop i got this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and <laughs> it's funny but it's tonally inconsistent and to to agree with what you're saying if that's what we're going to get from the third entry which is a extension of the second conceptually i'm fine with you giving me dinosaurs in military environments and dinosaurs hanging out <laughs> while you're camping because that's supposed to be the norm. And maybe that's why it felt sort of normal for these campers to see us. Like they know that dinosaurs are around and you just, it's like seeing a bear, you know, you know, bears live in the woods, but it's a surprise when you see one at your campsite. And so you're not quite freaking out, but you're keeping a cautious eye. But my fear is that Jurassic world three is going to err on the side of bunch of great action and really cool dinosaur fights. And not enough story. But the thing is, I already got that. 
Jurassic Park did that, but it also did it with heart. It did it with a great narrative. I don't need more of the former. I need, if you're going to give me this again, just like with this nonsense of all these reboots, you're going to have to give me something more. You can't let me rely on what I've experienced in the past because to me, that's perfection. And that's the reason why I went, I need something new. My opinion, not the world's, the Jurassic world or otherwise. And so it doesn't make me excited, but I respect the the short film and what it tried to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, it felt like Trevorrow trying to make an homage to Spielberg as close as he could get in his, obviously it's his way and it felt like it, but it was his attempt at making something via Spielberg that could help bridge the gap because he knows about the bad press and they've got to try and salvage some of that. I mean, there's plenty of people who went and saw Jurassic World that made a lot of money, but it did not get great returns when it came to criticism. So that's what I feel like the purpose was. I'm just speculating there. I saw something online the other day that I really loved. It was somebody actually talking about board games and designing them, but I think it could be applied to movies and TV shows and all kinds of video games and everything. And it said something to the effect of, if you're going to remake or reboot or criticize or reuse like a mechanic or a story or whatever only do it if you can make it better like there's there's no reason to do a thing just to do it again if you're going to do it it ha- there has to be the reason has to be that you can do it better not just different not an alternative but better and i think that i completely agree with that cuz i have not liked things that are just rebooted to be alternatives but I have liked things that have been rebooted to be smarter or more well-written or much better action, crisper, cleaner. Something has to really be there. There has to be a reason. Or even if they're even the element of being self-aware for the sake of calling attention to your inferiority of what the previous entry was, whatever that is. If it's a special effect, if it's a if it's a, a trope of some kind, calling attention to it, I think, is a is an interesting way to use it without necessarily, quote, improving on it, but calling attention to the fact that you're very much aware of what it is. The other big frustration I have with a short film like this is that it serves as a partial piece of marketing for what's coming out. We're a year and a half away from the release date, I think June of 2021. So I, unless this is the beginning of multiple short films that are going to lead up to the third entry, I don't know that this serves any other purpose than just giving you a reminder, hey, Jurassic World 3 is still happening. It's coming out pretty soon. Here's a little taste. Well, that's like getting an appetizer at lunch and waiting until dinner to actually eat. It just it doesn't make sense. It is. It's a very strange drop time. But whatever. It was fine. Not going to watch it again. So moving on, let's go and talk about something we actually do enjoy so we'll spoil that right up front. We're going to talk about a TV show called Barry. Those of you that have seen it will probably be nodding your head furiously in agreement because I think the consensus has all been extremely positive around this show. That's how I heard about it was buzz on Twitter and buzz from people in person. There's probably a much higher majority of folks that have never heard of this show when I bring it up, though. It just is that everybody that has seen it seems to love it. It is an HBO drama, kind of thriller at times, but it's been going two seasons now. And it is starring Bill Hader, 
And the synopsis is that it is a hitman, Bill Hader is a hitman, from the Midwest who moves to Los Angeles and he gets caught up in the city's theater arts scene. Now, that's wackier than it even sounds, okay? Um, I did not read the synopsis before we went into seeing this, Patrick. I'm going to let you lead on your thoughts because you are the one who pushed me over the edge to watching this. But I didn't know that that was in the synopsis and I probably would have laughed really hard at even watching this had I read that. But, you know, now that I've seen it, of course, it all makes sense. So you chose to watch Barry randomly, as far as I know, of some point a couple months ago. You fell in love with it. You turned me onto it. What got you started watching it? And what do you think about it? Well, first of all, I love Bill Hader. I think he is a fantastic impressionist. Um, many of you may have seen the deep fake videos that show him doing his impressions of Tom Cruise and Arnold Schwarzenegger with the deep face while he's on, I think it's Conan O'Brien. But even before that, Aaron, you can attest to this. I send random videos to my best friend of the Star Wars auditions, the SNL shorts of like Star Wars auditions, Back to the Future auditions. I think Jurassic Park was one of them. At one point, at least, Bill Hader does his Alan Alda impression. I, I just love going back to that. And he's just a, he's a funny guy. He's just one of those those guys that I love watching him. I wish he did stand up and and did more stuff. And so when I was doing a Google search, I ran across I was trying honestly, I was trying to find more videos of him doing impressions on talk shows. And I ran across one where he was on, I believe the tonight not the tonight show. He was on uh, late night and he was promoting season two of Barry. And they showed a clip. And it was him holding this script talking to Henry Winkler. And it was described as a dark comedy. And so I'm thinking, okay, all I know about Bill Hader is that he's a comedian. Uh, within that interview, he was, he was talking about the fact that, um, his days on SNL, he didn't like being on SNL because he gets stage fright working live. Like you would, he would say that, Oftentimes he would have a prop in his in his hand and he would move it up to his face and the prop master or prop mistress would go, move it down. She would gesture with her hands, move it down, move it down. And he would just shake his head, no, no, no. And so he was talking about Barry and how it was an opportunity for him to write and be a part of an experience where it was a scripted show. He also told a story about going into a drama class, going into a, a, a theater class to get to do research on what it's like to be a part of a theater class. And people recognized him, of course. And they were like, what are you doing here? You're an actor. He goes, well, I'm doing this thing for the show that I'm working on. And he said something like they didn't believe him. They said, you must just really be a crappy actor that doesn't know what your talent level. And it, I mean, it came across as a very much of a joke. Anyway, so he showed that clip. And I got really interested. So I queued up the first couple of episodes and I was incredibly surprised, not only at how much I enjoyed it, but how much of a balance there was to the comedy and drama side of it. There are moments in this show, and I'll speak for both seasons, where you get laugh out loud moments and then a couple of minutes later, there is a shift to a deeply dramatic moment, but it doesn't feel weird. It doesn't feel like, oh, we need to throw some drama in now. It feels very much like it makes sense. 
all of this within the chaos that is the synopsis of the show. This hitman who is part of the pilot. So I'm going to spoil this little bit. We get introduced to the essentially the synopsis of the movie by watching him go on a on a on a hit. He follows this guy into a building and he walks in and he sees Henry Winkler, who's the professor, teacher, uh, director, whoever it is. And he's talking to this class about who they need to be and how they need to embrace everything about themselves to bring out their acting. And you see this look on his face. It's like this aha moment. And that pulled me in and it made me curious, where is this going to go? So the series basically explores this duality that Barry's living in of trying to be an actor and balance it with being a hitman, which, like you said, Aaron, sounds completely ridiculous, but it works. It works in a way in a 22 to 23 minute episode over the course of 16 episodes, you really feel connected to these characters some of the responses that i got from you as you were boxing me watching this were the same kinds of responses of like i can't believe i care this much about this oh man that is a real point of like a moral kerfuffle um you didn't say kerfuffle that was my word but it it's one of those shows that i'm sad that season three isn't here and that i actually wanted to go back and rewatch seasons one and two because i missed it that's how good of a show it is and the fact that it's a, a dark comedy, it gives Hader and his team of creative people that freedom to be able to have moments of like, what? Really? Like there's there's absurdity throughout, but it fits tonally within the whole concept of the show. And and to me, I think that's a fantastic success for him. Yeah, he definitely is the driving force. I mean, it's he's the name, the titular character. And anytime your show is named after a person that is in the show that character is going to get the lion's share of the work and be the focal point in a way that most shows don't necessarily even have, right? There's an ensemble to the cast. There's supporting characters that are in this that are all wonderfully acted, by the way. Henry Winkler, probably his best work. Absolutely love him as the owner slash teacher of this small little arts uh, theater and he's trying to br- help these aspiring actors in this city where, you know, it's hard to get a job. He's amazing. Um, Fuchs, I-, I forget who plays Fuchs, but this is his handler, Barry's handler, who helps him get jobs as a hitman. And there's some great subplots explored within their relationship. Barry ends up with a romantic interest. Great subplots explored there, as you would imagine, trying to, like you said, balance this life as a secret hitman with his desires to learn to be an actor. And when you think about it, once you've gone through the show, in hindsight, you realize, wow, okay, it does actually make a lot of sense because he's acting already. His whole life has been acting because he puts on a show. He goes out to be a hitman and he's on the stage and then he has to live his life. Normally, or vice versa, is whichever way, right? But one or the other, he's never always the same person. And so, in a sense, he's been auditioning for this idea of becoming an actor for a long time now. Um, he was a former military vet, we learn, and so that gave the story a lot of extra weight that I really enjoyed and found to be handled um, quite 
tastefully so far. And like you, I just love the aha moments. Um, the show is so good. It's so well written. It's rare for me to like a comedy and this is primarily a comedy, but I think it's because it's a dark comedy, but those, those moments when it shifts into pure darkness and drama, they happen in ways that are jaw dropping in this show. And you texted me at one point and you said, I wish that we could be watching this together. And I do too, because it's that type of show where you see something happen and you're both just laughing and having fun and eating your chips and your, you know, cheese slices together. And then all of a sudden this thing happens and it gets really serious in a moment. And you both look at each other and you're just like, like, uh, what just happened? And you just have to pause and like process it. That's what the show is about. And it's awesome. And it gives, I think, a lot of, a lot of stuff for people to think about as well. Um, so it's a, it's got some thinking man aspects to mm-hmm. it for people to consider about their own lives, their own choices. So if you're out there, you know, killing people, maybe you need to reconsider that. But, um, other, otherwise it, it actually is really good at doing that as well. And I, I've loved it. I love that we could binge it too, to be honest, because with the 30 minute episode shows, I don't want to wait a week. <laughs> I'm the same way, but this is one of those things where, you know, you're, we have to practice a little bit of patience, especially with season three is definitely one that you and I are not going to be waiting until it's over to binge it because no. it's that good. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the character of Fuchs. He's played by uh, Stephen Root, who has been in pretty much everything on the planet. He feels like he has totally but, one of those guys. But he's got such a fantastic diversity to his acting prowess. I mean, he plays a character in this, Aaron, that is incredibly different than other characters. Um, he's famously known for voicing Bill on King of the Hill. He's also in Office Space, so he and Mike Judge, I guess, are best friends. But he's but he's been all over the place. He's been in Veep. He's been in um, what else was there on the basis of Sex, The Man in High Castle. All these you could call him bit parts, but he's a really well versed actor and. The chemistry that he and Barry had, that Fuchs and Barry have, it it works in terms of a partnership. It works in terms of a father-son relationship. It, ter- it, it works in terms of a a brotherly relationship. And it's th- there are moments of real tension between the two of them as the series goes on because Barry wants to be an actor. And it's difficult to balance that with the life that he is, um, he's trying to break away from or balance. And, and he fights that too. What I find interesting is that this is what I think a good TV series does is when you deal with a character or a synopsis that centers around an activity like crime, um, Good Girls does the same thing. Well, one small arc finishes up, like a problem is solved it leads to another one. And that's what Barry does as well. The the show finishes up a situation, like whether it's a hit on one person, but events from that lead up to that start filtering into the next set of problems. So it's an ongoing issue with him. And so that becomes kind of the, the water that the story of Barry floats in where we get his character fleshed out over the course of these 16 episodes with this underlying current of, crime 
and Hitman stuff and all these different choices that he has to make. So it really does reinforce that balance because we can enjoy the undercurrent, but we can equally enjoy the the story of Barry as he's maturing and learning more about himself, not only as an actor, but as a person. Oh, absolutely. It's just such a great blending of genres that it was something completely unique and unexpected for me. And I think that that's probably why so many folks have been enamored with it. It just is not like anything that I've watched. I could probably pick out some things to say there's pieces of this in it and there's pieces of that in it, but it's not something I could do a one-for-one comparison with. And that makes me happy. I like that because it, it is something special. And it fills a great gap in my life where I want that 30-minute experience now. I've kind of become just accustomed to it. <laughs> and I'll talk about what I've replaced that gap with here in a second. But I like it. I like the 30-minute show, man, where I can pop it on and watch one or two episodes at a time while I'm eating dinner. And then I can stop and go on with my life and do whatever else I was going to do. And Barry is great for that. So if you've not checked out Barry yet, you can do so on HBO. Seasons 1 and 2 are out, as we mentioned. Season 2 aired in March of 2019, so it's still somewhat fresh. Season 3's air date has not been announced, sadly. But as soon as it is, I'm sure we'll let you know because we're pretty hyped for it. If it's trending like the first two seasons, we're thinking probably spring of next year. That's the expectation, yeah. That's okay, though. We can wait. We have to. We have we, we can wait because we don't have a choice. <laughs> it's true. We can't tell Bill Hader to get cranking because the two of us are more important than anybody else. All right. Well, the last section we're going to do here, Patrick, is some old school what we've been up to. We used to have this on the podcast on every episode. Uh, as a main line of episodes has evolved over time, we got rid of it and decided to shift some of the what we've been up to talk to FF+. And today we had some space. So we figured we would just talk about some of the things that we've been into over the last few months and let you get to know what we like outside of just movies a little bit more. Uh, Patrick, why don't you share some of your stuff with us? Cause I don't see it in the notes. So I don't even know what you're going to talk about. <laughs> I've been cooking a lot, Aaron. No, <laughs> Hey, nothing wrong with that. Along with getting our kitchen remodeled, I've had some time to, um, to revisit a TV show that uh, I'm I'm glad to say that you're actually joining or maybe I'm joining you on this venture. The the inspiration behind this was the the coverage that we did for um, a couple of episodes covering Varsity Blues and Friday Night Lights, both based on a book by H.B. Bissinger. I'm going to get that wrong. <laughs> and there was a Facebook discussion that I think you revitalized when you had I think watched Friday Night Lights for the first time and then you just started binging the first season of the TV show and you were just incredibly like enthralled with it. And then Squirrel, you got distracted. And now two years later, here we are. And you mentioned wanting to start it up again. And I said, that absolutely sounds great. I've actually watched it probably three times straight through. Well, I say straight through, just over the course of you know, months, obviously. But it is an amazing show, and it's always worth checking out. I I don't know that there's been a a pilot episode of any TV series, including Barry, by the way, that 
comes close to the wow factor that uh, that Friday Night Lights does. So if you have not checked it out, I believe it's on Amazon. If you're a Prime member, it's free there. It's also on YouTube. YouTube or Google? YouTube TV? Is that right? It's on Hulu and YouTube TV and Amazon Prime. That's right. So as of this recording, it's in on those three areas. But what I'm excited about, Aaron, and and kind of slightly like happily disappointed is the fact that we're actually, you and I are going to watch these together. And so we have, much like we did with Battlestar Galactica before the, before the podcast started, we'd watch a couple of episodes and then we'd box each other. Here's what we loved about it. Or in our case, we just like throw out funny lines that Landry says. Um, but what it's reminded me of is the fact that I, you know, even after we finish this, this recording, I'm going to be like, man, I'd love to watch another episode of Friday Night Lights. And I'm okay with waiting, but I'm not okay. I'm kind of in both of those camps because it reminds me that good shows are worth both binging and waiting for. And part of the thing that you mentioned about Barry is the fact that I want to experience watching this with you and getting this kind of in real time instead of like being five episodes ahead or being five episodes behind or not even watching it and hearing you kind of throw out, wow, I can't believe this because there's something about that communal experience. And so I've started, we've uh, gotten through the first four episodes, I believe. And so that's been occupying my week. I've also, go ahead. Well, before you go on, because this involves me, I wanted to piggyback and say, you know, I'm really enjoying it as well. And I feel the exact same way. I want to just binge. And I know that because of my personality, that the only way I'm going to get through it is by not doing that. And that sounds counterproductive to some people probably listening. But for me, if I binge and get ahead of myself and I'm doing this without you on the same pace, because inevitably I would have more time than you and I would use that time and I would get way ahead and we wouldn't be even anymore. Eventually I'm going to just stop because something else is going to catch my attention. Like you've said before, I'm going to go squirrel and I'm going to just flame out, but doing it with you and talking about each one as we go keeps me in check It keeps me honest. It keeps me continuing on. And I do like that. I have that feel. I don't like that feeling because I want to just, flip it on and keep going like when we finish episode three on a cliffhanger like literally on a kickoff of a football at the start of a football game and you're like are you are you i was so mad i was like are you kidding me right now like patrick can we go on can we watch another one and i feel like that's going to happen a lot to us as we go through this because we're planning on two episodes a week that's like our minimum but i feel like we're going to be texting each other and be like hey can you get in episode five or six because i want to watch another one and sometimes we will and yeah. sometimes we won't, right? We'll respect each other's time on that. But I like it and I don't because part of it is like there's an anticipation sure. that, that is building in me and I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And so yeah. I'm really enjoying it. I'm also reading the reading the book or listening to the audio book, which I believe you have ordered a hard copy. Oh, did it come? No, it shipped. It shipped. It should be here at the beginning of next week. Okay, so yeah, so we are basically just all Friday Night Lights this football <laughs> season. That's what we're doing this fall. Feel free, if you want to join us, let us know on social media, and we can somehow tell you where we're at, and yeah. you can go along with us. We can make a post in the Facebook group, and we can track where we're at and let everybody know. Now, we would still be going at our pace. We're not going to sh- mix that up, but we would love to have anybody who wants to join come along for the ride. We're definitely 
high on Friday Night Lights. If you haven't listened to that episode, it was last week's main show, and I think you said Varsity Blues was two weeks ago. Check those out. They're both very good as well. But what else have you been up to, man? Well, I've been going through Uncharted, slowly but surely. But the thing about games like that and, um, well, console games, essentially, are the fact that I boot up, I wait to load, and then I'm I'm locked in for like an hour. Because for me to do any less than that doesn't make sense, especially the, the type of games that I like to play. Whether it's it's that or Assassin's Creed, games that require me to immerse myself to get the full experience. And so I make point when I have an hour, hour and a half, usually it's after the podcast if we get done early enough or if I'm not tired and it's not a school night, that kind of thing, I'll I'll pop that in. When I'm not doing that, there is a tablet game that I discovered probably two or three months ago, and it's a sequel to a 2014-2013 game called Custom Street Racing. So it's called CSR2. And I haven't played the original. The second one popped up as a recommendation when I was playing another game. It was an advert. And what attracted me was the insane visuals that this game has. It's a drag racing game, if you want to simplify it. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's free to play, but it's got, you know, ads and things like that. And you can pay for things in game, that kind of stuff. But what you have is this kind of, not text-based, but it is because you have you're not it's not a turn-based game. It's it's really like you have these visuals of people that you're interacting with, and they're driven by like comic book style dialogue. But the game itself centers around you, and you're trying to make a name for yourself in this city as a street racer. So you connect with a garage, and you start working for this guy named Greg, I think, and he gives you your first car and a crossbow. And it, <laughs> maybe that's what I'm thinking of is Greg. And then there are dinosaurs that come out and you have to like run them over with your car. No, it's not the way, but it's this, this hyper real drag racing that's set in this fictitious city. And you can do all these things from like competing against live players to playing the story mode. There's events that take place throughout the city that you can join the, the cars that you can get by buying or by winning from. Uh, from crew leaders by moving up into one of five different tiers. They are fully customizable. You can paint them. You can add your own personalized license plate. You can add um, nitrous. You can upgrade all the parts. You can add fusion parts to them. So it's this really cool immersive environment where you basically start owning and driving all these really cool cars. And this edition features what's called a Legends mode, where you're acquiring one of 15 really expensive, famous type cars. And so I've got like a, I think a Shelby GT that I'm working on right now. It's, but part of that Legends campaign is that you restore these cars. So you compete in races and you get restore points. And so those restore points allow you to fully restore these cars. And once they do, then you move up in another rank. And so it's all these different things that add to your experience as a drag racer. There's no, you know, control there. It's all driven by, you know, you're touching the tablet and stuff like that. But besides the gameplay itself, what's nice is that if I'm waiting on my wife while she's taking a bath and we're going to hang out afterwards or we're going date night or something like that, I can cue that up and I can play for probably 10 to 15 minutes without skipping a beat. And it's, 
just fine and I can just turn it back off. It's a game that I don't have to necessarily spend a whole ton of time in, although I have spent up to an hour, hour and a half in it because there's a lot going on. I mean, you're constantly moving up ranks and trying to beat higher tier uh, crews and their leaders. And as you do that, you get more money to buy more cars and to upgrade more parts. And so it's this constant cycle that's meant to keep you in the game. The downside to that is that there are, of course, a ton of ads. But like anyone who has Hulu with the commercial, the limited commercials, I simply just kick the ad. And I, if I'm watching a TV show or watching a baseball game, I'll just look up at the baseball game and watch that for 30 seconds. Those things get me more fuel pips is what they call. But um, overall, it's a really fun game. I've had a good time uh, playing it. That's awesome. I, I know that you probably play a tablet type stuff more than I do because I don't play any tablet type stuff. I do play my Switch in out of dock mode occasionally, but for the most part, I'm like a TV gamer. And mm-hmm. I like to do everything on my big screen, uh, but that's just not conducive to your lifestyle at the moment. I'm sure exactly. that you yeah. have a lot more opportunity to play that game on your tablet, but I do that on my phone. And I focus so, on Uncharted as my as my as my console game right now. I have that's to good. Keep blinders on. <laughs> I want you to do that, and you're right. It does take a good hour to get through a part of a mission that you feel like you've accomplished something. So it's important to do that. But CSR sounds like right up your alley. That doesn't surprise I me. I love Drag Race. I mean, it's all. it's all about Fast and the Furious. They've got campaigns that kind of throw back to Fast and the Furious. They did one for um, Hobbs and Shaw. There was a the sponsorship campaign that featured a Hobbs and Shaw type scenario and what i think is really cool is because of its limited capabilities in terms of its not resources necessarily from graphic standpoint but there is a narrative in the game so you're not just randomly racing different people although you can do that but there are also these characters that you're connecting with there's a there's a um a garage owner that takes care of all your regular cars and then there's a legends car owner that has a garage that that helps you out there to help restore your car so there's a lot of different characters and a bigger story happening here it's not completely immersive but it helps keep the keep the interest level up yeah yeah i can see how that would be the case well i I have some video game stuff to mention as well that's really what i've been spending my time doing if anybody out there listening follows me on twitter on my personal twitter the at aaron l white one you'll know this or if you follow me on facebook because that's pretty much all i've been tweeting about I keep my movie stuff to the Fuel and Film account and my video game stuff to the personal account. Uh, but it has been just a renaissance for me in the last six months or so of gaming. I took, I would say, for the most part, almost like a year and a half off from serious gaming. I mean, I dabbled. I've always gamed. I've been a gamer for my entire life and a pretty hardcore gamer, as I do pretty much everything in my life obsessively. But during this renaissance, I've realized how much of a passion I always had for it. I mean, going it goes far back to when I was a kid. Before I ever wrote movie reviews, I was writing game reviews, and I was involved in video game forums. I mean, that was always my thing. It was what I would have loved to get into was game journalism. And frankly, Patrick, this six-month period of playing new releases and getting back into that community, I feel like I'm in a different place. I have this experience now with feeling film under my belt, and I'm almost invigorated to go after that again and attack that as a career goal and not just put it up there in that place in the clouds of like, Hey, you know, this is what I would love to do with my life. If uh, if everything worked out, I don't foresee myself as 
someone who would be a professional movie critic. I love what we do here on the show, but I think that this is a little different than that. I think uh, being in the games industry as a journalist is something that I would be not only really good at, but I would enjoy the heck out of. And so I've had a lot of fun, man. I've just been interacting with people in the industry via Twitter, um, via some of the media events that I've been to or the, the conventions and the games have just been great for me in the last six months. I have poured, I have a game of the year already. I would be shocked if anything beats it. It's called Fire Emblem Three Houses. And Fire Emblem is a long-running game series. If you've ever played Final Fantasy Tactics or you know what that is, it's similar to that style of gameplay. Also to games like Disgaea. Basically turn-based on a grid you're moving your character types around. There's different versions of your characters that have, you know, some are strong in swords, some are strong in range, some are strong in magic, yada, yada. But this particular version of the game is all about these students that are at this monastery, and you come in as the player character, as their teacher. And it takes elements out of another game series called Persona that has this social aspect where half of the game is fighting battles, and the other half is literally just talking to people, Patrick. And you have one of three classes that you're the house leader of, essentially, the professor of, rather. It's very Harry Potter-like, the way it's set up. And you have like eight, nine students of your own, and then there's two other houses that have eight, nine students. And you can pick which one you want. And there's actually four different, what they call routes or paths. You can go four different playthroughs of this game and get completely different endings based on the characters that you're focused on. So you can't get all of their information in one playthrough, which appeals to me. I like knowing that there's something out there that I could go do again to get more information. But these relationships that I have built with these kids while playing this game, it's nuts. I'm on my second playthrough of this game. I've beaten it once. I have over 100 hours in this game, and I'm not even close to being done. I'm on my second one. I will probably do all four. I will be playing this for a very long time. The awesome thing is that my daughter has gotten into it as well, which I knew she would. The social aspect and getting to know your students, learning about their histories and their personalities and watching them develop over time and then watching them form bonds with other students as well as yourself, it's addictive. And you find yourself, when you're not playing, wanting to get back to the game because you want to know what's going on with the students, not because you want to fight another battle, which is crazy to me. But that's the way it is. She's been borrowing my Switch now for over a week because she's still not quite started college yet. Her friends are in high school, and she's like, ha, 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 I I don't have to start for two weeks. And so she's been sitting at home playing my game, my Switch, uh, rather, and she started her own file up, and she's loving it. And it's become this awesome thing where we're able to share it. She texts me, I text her. She tells me what's going on with her students, what she did differently than me, what she did that was the same. And it's been a bonding thing and we've we've loved it it's absolutely my game of the year i think it is incredible and it is one of the best gaming experiences i've had in years uh, on top of that there's just been a wealth i think of good stuff there's been a game called control that came out that was really cool it's like a cinematic paranormal game where you are investigating this place and these alter world altered world events that it's essentially like you're walking through a big mansion that is filled with X-Files scenarios. <laughs> and you have this gun called a service weapon, and this one gun is all you use, but it 
can be modified. And so your gun can be almost like a pistol. It can be like a rocket launcher. It can, you know, give you force. You have force like abilities in this game where you have telekinesis and you can throw stuff and it affects the environment, which is pretty much all I do because it's so much fun to like rip blocks of rock off of a wall and chunk it in an enemy. It feels amazing and fluid. And the story is, I thought it was going to be too crazy for me, but it's not. It's like watching a really good TV show. Like the X-Files is what I would go to. Or um, actually, it's very similar to something like The Endless and Resolution, the way that the story works with like, there's this alternate universe and it's kind of like a portal that's affecting things in our world and making things go wonky. And we're trying to figure out what's going on and it's this weird stuff is happening. It's really, really good as well. And it has some technical hiccups to the game. They've been trying to fix it. So I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to finish it. I've beaten the game, but I haven't done all the side stuff yet. I'm excited to do all the side stuff and get the expansions when they come out. I really love the story of that one. Borderlands 3 just dropped. I was texting you about it earlier, and I think I mentioned it. Um, I actually did a fight tonight between myself, a laser dinosaur, and a gun-wielding monkey. Both of them sentient. It was epic, is all I can tell you. It was better than Colin Trevorrow could have ever <laughs> come up with. Let me it, tell probably. you. Probably yeah, my laser dinosaur in Borderlands 3 was way better than his in Jurassic World 2. But I, I love Borderlands as a series. I've been super excited for this game. And I even took a day off of work on Friday to like get a head start. And I just played it all weekend long. Pumped in over 30 hours. I'm absolutely loving this game. And if it wasn't for Fire Emblem, it would be my game of the year, I'm sure. I just love having it, and they've pumped so much effort into the end game this time around, so I plan to be experiencing this one for a long time to come. The writing in Borderlands is phenomenal. It's just this great humor, and the particular story that they're using this time around is very current and modern. Our two villains are social media fiends, and so they're basically YouTube stars, and they're going around the galaxy and they have this cult of followers and they use Instagram and they live stream these attacks and these, you know, it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Everything is a meme to them. And so if you have any kind of, you know, experience with current pop culture stuff, it's really, really funny, extra funny, I think. And so, but yeah, the gameplay is amazing. They've made some adaptations. So in the past, you would get really cool guns that had elemental effects, and that was always part of the fun of Borderlands. But now, they have famously claimed there's over a billion combinations of guns because of this unique way that the gun generator works, can give you randomized traits. Well, that's all good. I mean, we're talking some lots of minor differences when you're talking about a billion differences. But they added a feature, I've never seen a gun gun play type game before, where you can push down on your D-pad, and your guns sometimes will change into an alternate firing ability. And what that means is that I have a pistol, Patrick, that if I push down on my D-pad, the barrel will spin around on the screen, because it's in first person, and all of a sudden it becomes a grenade launcher. <laughs> so I can pop, pop, pop grenades, and it immediately fires pistol bullets right after that to follow them up. I had a sniper rifle that you could flip into an alternate fire mode and two pods would drop down from beneath the barrel and shoot RPGs out of it. <laughs> so I have a sniper RPG rifle. Yes, it is 
freaking awesome. I mean, it, it, that is what Borderlands 3 is. It is over the top, absolute like bonkers, like just like a blockbuster movie type experience of a game. And it is so much fun. And there's just so much stuff that's coming that I'm looking forward to. They remade uh, one of the Zelda games, uh, Link's Awakening. Started off as a Game Boy game. It's only been on handhelds thus far to my knowledge, but it has this new like porcelain toy art style look that is super cute. And that comes out this week. And I'm really looking forward to playing that. And I'm just in love with the games right now. Um, other than movies, that's pretty much all I do is games and movies. Uh, I would love to eventually talk about them on a podcast as well. So I'm working on putting something together from that. If you're listening and you happen to be really, really, really into games, like the way that I'm kind of passionately rambling here, feel free to contact me uh, and we can talk. Do that because this guy it right ain't going to be Patrick. Like, yeah. <laughs> it ain't going to be Patrick. You have to, you have to be somebody who really actually, you know, plays new releases on a weekly to monthly basis and is absolutely just committed and into that culture. Because I think that that's, the kind of people who are going to make for a good show. I, I'm not going to be able to carry something by myself, I've realized. But it's a goal, man. I, I really would like to have two shows corresponding and keep Fuel and Film, what we do here, unique and special in the way we do it, and then do something on the side that could be completely different, but is game-focused. Uh, yep. And I'm excited about eventually getting around to that. So that's what I've been doing. Oh, last... I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but last but not least... That 30-minute gap in my show history that I wanted to fill after watching Barry Patrick, I went ahead and chose another HBO show. It's called Ballers, and it's been on for like five seasons now. I think that I think they're in the fifth season right now, and it's The Rock. It's Dwayne Johnson as a sports agent, and I have been loving it. It's about 10-episode-long seasons, which is my jam. The episodes are a lot of fun. They're hilarious. Peter Berg has a supporting role in it as the Dolphins head coach. So that's a lot of fun. He's a producer on the show. So you can imagine how some of the football stuff is handled. It feels very accurate. I'll tell you that. There is quite a bit of flamboyance to the lifestyles of the rich and famous athlete. There's some nudity here and there. There's definitely a lot of language. Um, there's drug use and all that stuff. But I think it is handled in a way that is realistic seemingly and what i love about the show is it doesn't ever feel like that stuff is there just because it actually is serving the characters and giving us a look into their psyche at the time and the show's really really strong the the way that the arcs have progressed i have become completely immersed in them and i i'm find myself like unable to put the show down i'll I'll binge it like i'll be watching a couple episodes and i'll just have to watch two or three more because i want to know what's going to happen to my guys like they're going through tough times and experiences i want to know if they're going to get signed this off season you know like he's got to choose a team he's got like three offers what's he going to do is he going to stay home with the the team that he know he wants to be with or is he going to take the money and go somewhere else to win a ring and there's all of these real things I, i feel like it's a really really strong peek behind the curtain at what life in the NFL is like and why so many athletes struggle with money afterwards, why so many athletes struggle with social media problems. All that stuff is included in this. So it is really, really good. I actually finished season two tonight. I can't wait to keep going. John David Washington is in this show. I don't know if it was his first role, but I have become like a super fan of John David Washington, Patrick, between this and Black Klansman, I absolutely am so, so excited to see him in Christopher Nolan's upcoming movie, Tenet. I think he is a 
excellent, excellent actor. I'm pumped to see what Chris Nolan can do with a character with him behind it. Absolutely. He's a rising star for sure. Well, that's all from us. Uh, we're glad that you joined us for another episode of FF Plus. Just around the corner, we head to space with Brad Pitt talking about Film Film's highly anticipated 2019 movie, Ad Astra. We're also excited to announce that the first round of patron-exclusive Feelin' Film shirts went out the door, so for those of you contributing to the show at the $5 tier, you should expect those in the next few days. If you're interested in joining the patron family and supporting Feelin' Film for as low as a buck a month, you can check out all the details at patreon.com slash Film, which reminds me, a special thanks to Teacup for being a new supporter and J.B. Huffman, who recently updated his pledge to the $5 tier. So be looking for a shirt here in the next several months, J.B., and we appreciate you. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, and we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.